Hello, everyone. This is The Contemplating Christian. Uh, today, we're talking about a Christian theology of suffering. Mm -hmm. So, most of us are probably living our lives normally, and then we get blindsided by something bad, uh, something horrible that happens in our lives. It could be anything from losing a child to uh, getting drafted in a war or even a nation declaring war, uh, which is something we talked about recently, actually, with uh, learning in wartime. But that's what we're talking about today. So the the big question that comes up with this is when these bad things blindside us, should we perk ourselves up and perk ourselves up by the bootstraps and do good uh, and fun things to have a happy attitude? Or should we grieve? Should we lament? Okay, and so we are using an article to base our uh, discussion off of. We aren't going to use everything from the article, but it'll be in the uh, description below the link, Will. But yeah, that's uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. Will, what are your first thoughts on this? Yeah, so the article is uh, When the Therapeutic God Fails. And that is kind of talking about how a lot of times in Christian circles, uh, God takes the place of a sort of therapist um, where uh, he is helpful in certain instances uh, he, but he isn't really in control of your whole life. Um, and so you kind of go to him and ask him for things when you need it, but he is not really, um, the Lord of your life, I suppose. And so when, when that's the case, that is not really a robust understanding of God to support you when things go badly in life. Yeah. And so this, this article, and I think kind of our goal here is to, like you said, develop a Christian theology of suffering so that when we are blindsided by a tragedy in our life, we can actually uh, rely on God to bear the weight of that. Because uh, mm. we have a God that is a burden-bearing God that wants to um, be with us in our affliction. And we have a Savior who is fully acquainted with grief and sorrow. And so Christianity has a unique perspective on suffering that the world doesn't really understand. Uh, yeah. that I think the world either completely tries to ignore suffering, pretend it doesn't exist, uh, or they wallow in it and become cynical. And yeah. they think that there's no hope to life. Mm -hmm. So I think that Christianity provides the correct balance between hope and despair. And so I want to like have that be something we talk about as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. And our culture today is in denial about sorrows. Like our our immediate response is let's get out of this suffering ASAP right now, as soon as possible. Right. Um, right. We, we don't have this idea of letting uh, uh, as the article puts it, letting our palate taste various bitternesses. That actually reminds me of uh, if, if none, uh, if none of, you know, I, I grew up messianic Jewish and I used to, uh, or I still do Passover and stuff like that. But when I was a kid, I, I always skipped the bad parts right? Because we would uh, do things that remi remind us of good things and like eat sweet foods. But then we would also have like horseradish that was bitter. And I always like pretended to eat the horseradish. And then I would go straight to like the sweet apple, um, cinnamon, honey mixture and just not eat the bitterness. So there is this aversion to bitter things. But uh, the problem is that bitter things are good for you sometimes, right? Uh, like right. no one wants to eat a raw green bean, but 
it's uh, healthy. It's like kids trying to eat vegetables or trying to force them to eat vegetables. Um, right. Yeah. You just, you just have to eat it at some point. You have to experience it at some point. And in fact, um, we could go as far to say uh, like this idea of making everything good or enjoyable is actually biblical malpractice. Like it's actually wrong according to the Bible to make everything good and fun and enjoyable. We have to do uh, like sorrowful things at some point. Right. We, there's absolutely a, a category in the Christian life for biblical lamenting. Mm -hmm. And this is something that takes time. And so there's just sort of a natural, most of us know about kind of the, the process of grief that somebody would go through. And that's a natural thing. Uh, and biblically, there's just a process to that. And we're not supposed to try to avoid that or uh, ignore it or anything like that. But we're trying to actually let that process have its full effect and mm. to be with God in that whole process uh, rather than trying to ignore it or pretend like nothing is wrong. Uh, it is proper and right to grieve. Yet, as Christians, we don't we do not grieve without any sense of hope, and so Christian grief has hope in it, um, as we'll see as we go through Lamentations today a little bit. Yeah, and so that's not, uh, and I would actually say this isn't necessarily just for the Christian. I guess um, not. I guess I know that even Jews can have this same theology because of the Book of Lamentation. Sure. Uh, so yeah, Lamentations is really just the Jews always thought God would be good to them. So like, mm-hmm. Hey, we're the covenant people. We're the, we're the chosen people. Um, and Christians can have this exact same attitude. Like, Oh, we're Christians. We're God's people. So yeah. God will always be good to us. Like he might let other people suffer, but us, he would not let suffer. Right. Um, yeah. So, so I guess in this context of lamentations, we could say uh, it's specifically for, for Jews and Christians and battling against the attitude of God would never do this to his people. Right. right. Um, and obviously in uh, like a theology or an apologetic for the problem of evil, we would say like God allowed it. He didn't necessarily do it directly to us. And we could sure. get into that whole discussion, but the big point here is would God let us experience this? Yeah. Right. And we, I think, the story of many, 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 many things in scripture is that God is yeah, either using the language of permission or God allowing or permitting something to happen or directly causing an affliction. Uh, either of those things, I think we'll get a hint of how we should view that from the chapter of Lamentations we're going to look at as well, yeah. um, exactly how we should talk about that. But uh, either way, God is in control. God's sovereign over suffering that happens, and he could have it all stop, uh, but he doesn't. And so the Lord is, it is proper to say, why have you done this, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you doing this? Um, I think either of those things are, are proper to say. And we, yeah, we want to just be realists about that, that God's in mm. control and there's a reason that he's putting you through difficult things. Yeah. Uh, there's a great, uh, just recently, just from uh, Church on Sunday, uh, pastor is talking about um, Charles Spurgeon quote that says that so Charles Spurgeon great prince of preachers um, and he dealed with depression and he had lots of suffering in his life 
And uh, his quote was, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. So basically his, his thinking was uh, viewing suffering as, well, how, how James talks about it in James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds for your suffering or your trials produce steadfastness. Mm. And Spurgeon, that Spurgeon quote is basically saying that I have learned, not, not that I ignore my grief, but I've learned to uh, still have hope and joy in the midst of awful circumstances mm-hmm. uh, because it draws me closer to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And I think an understanding of joy at that point is essential because yeah. joy doesn't mean pleasure, right? Cause a lot of people conflate joy and happiness and say, Oh, if I'm going to feel joyful, I have to be happy all the time. No joy is more of an underlying condition underlying all the surface emotions you are feeling. Um, right. Joy is something is like a satisfaction of, of the soul of a sort right. um, that you have even in these, in these bad times. And so um, I guess the, the big, the big point here is that we should walk slowly through grief and sorrow, right? Charles Spurgeon right. said we should kiss it. So walk slowly through it. And there's this idea of actually studying it right? Or um, being meticulous. Okay. And the, uh, the article actually has a poem. I'd love to read the, read the poem by Robert Browning Hamilton. Um, And it's just two stanzas. So really quick, it says, I walked a mile with pleasure. She, um, she chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and never a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me, right? Yeah. So it's this uh, this idea that pleasure and and happiness, um, they do a lot. They uh, like in this obviously chat a lot or say a lot or um, they're they're all talk. Happiness and pleasure, it's all talk. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, um, those. Uh, pleasurable things don't really give any lasting impression. It's those big, impactful, important, and usually sorrowful moments that leave an impact, right? So when you, when you ask someone uh, the biggest things they've learned in life, they usually bring up something sad or impactful or um, big. It's not, oh yeah, when I was, um, when I was eating a cake 10 years ago, I learned this. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, so that's why I, I don't put all of my stock in this theodicy of soul building, but I do mm-hmm. think it is a really biblical answer to the problem of evil is God just places these things in our paths to grow us as individuals, to build stronger souls. And I think that, that is a really biblical idea. Um, mm-hmm. We see it in Romans five, James one, second uh, Corinthians four uh, places in which um Scripture is saying basically that the suffering is promoting growth among mm-hmm. Christians and that because we are not of this world, uh, because we're going to a different place when we die, we're being prepared for an eternal world. This is a, a breath of a life. Um, I find that a really compelling uh, answer to a lot of um, objections from evil and things like that. But when you're in the midst of suffering and evil, there is a proper true place for lament. So he mm-hmm. actually talks about uh, in the beginning of this article, he kind of gives a personal, a personal anecdote, correct? Yeah. 
Yeah, and it was a it was a pretty intense one. If you if you read the article, uh, literally first paragraph, it's he was having a baby with his wife, and the the room was bloody. Everything was bloody, and the baby died. And his wife was asking him um, about the baby and if it was okay. And uh, I I think it might have been the uh, the sex of of the baby. I recall right. correctly. I don't know. But anyway, that was that was his story. So he he actually wrote about that and then he had a Bible study and all, all these missionaries and everything were like you should read some uplifting Bible verses during this time and he's like no, we're going to go through lamentations, right? Yeah. This um this this idea of lamenting. Uh and I actually think Douglas Grudtice has recently done some great work on this of lamenting as an apologetic. So actually as a defense for Christianity, um, because it's uh, the proper way to deal with, uh, with sorrows. Cause a lot of religions don't actually have that. So like Buddhism, they, they would say, yeah, yeah, they would ignore it or Eastern religions. They would say transcend it, ignore it. Uh, uh, All these things you're feeling, they are, they are worldly and earthly and bad. You need to go above it. Yeah, you have an attachment to things and that's why you're sorrowful and so you need to de or disattach mm-hmm. yeah i yeah. think uh yeah grutice has he wrote a book after his wife died and it, yeah. it was i don't i don't remember the exact title but he basically wrote from a philosopher's point of view or an apologist's point of view walking mm-hmm. through sorrow i can't remember the exact title of the book but yeah yeah and i i haven't haven't read it uh it's it's actually pretty short i think it's like a hundred some pages but yeah, it was a, it's a, it's called a philosopher's lament. Uh, that's like the sub heading kind of, yeah. I don't know what the actual heading was, but yeah, it's, um, we, we needed twilight. To, oh, that actually might be it. I think <laughs> that I might be it. it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I think that's it. But yeah, anyway, we need to revive a practice of constructing a lament. So hmm. Douglas Grutice does this correctly. He, he wrote a book as in it was meticulous lamentations was meticulously crafted um it was actually it's an acrostic of the hebrew alphabet i believe and yeah. also um i believe the middle of the whole poem is a message of hope and the middle of the poem is very important for uh for jewish Deep people that's yeah. yep that's uh that's how they constructed it. it's like the most important part so there is this uh, so there is a glimmer of hope, but before we get to that glimmer of hope, it's just this idea of as a spiritual discipline, as a practice, we should sorrow, we should grieve, we should um, do something and not do it quickly. So if I were to journal about my grief, I would not just like throw my emotions on a piece of paper and just like write random stuff and whatever thought comes into my head. Uh, no, Lamentations and even Douglas Grutice with his book, show us that we should take it step by step. We should mm. think about it. We should process it and we should express it in an organized um, and controlled manner. Right. Yeah. And I think there's, there's, yeah, there's totally a place for like crying out to God in a, uh, in kind of the deep deepness of suffering, but at the same time kind of, uh, that whole process of biblical grief. I do. Yeah. I do believe it is like a, it's sitting in it long enough where it takes 
craftsmanship. That's what the article says, that uh, sorrow was worth craftsmanship for Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. So he wrote uh, this beautifully constructed, very meticulous, uh, poetic book just on suffering and lament. And so he takes lots of time. And so this is very much counter to culture or counter to what we might usually think of trying to forget about things or trying to uh, wash the bad away as quickly as you can. Now, there's a meticulous just sitting in it and writing about it for a long time. And yeah. I think that that's, that's healthy. Yeah. And in these, you actually do see the five stages of grief. Obviously, um, that's that's what psychologists have come to a conclusion of. So all those five stages. But uh, I mean, in some of the Psalms or even in these lamentations, it's remember my affliction. Oh, God. Right. That's yeah. bargaining right there. OK, I am mm -hmm. bargaining with God to have him remember what I go through so that at the end of time at judgment, he will remember, oh yeah, he did this and stayed faithful hmm. through this hard time. Right. right. Um, yeah. And so we, we can actually move on to this glimmer of, of hope and lamentations. And this is what it says. Um, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning great is your faithfulness. And right. um, so this was obviously carefully crafted, but a lot of people take this out of context. And so I think uh, a really big point here is we need to use that correctly. Because just like at the beginning of the, the article where he gave that story about his child and then missionaries were like, oh, you should read some uplifting verses. And he said, no, I should go to lamentations, we shouldn't take this glimmer of hope out of context because a lot of people would just read that and be like, oh, yes, he's faithful. But they would read it while, I don't know, they just got a new job or a raise or when they are doing very, very well. Um, and he actually brings up the idea of those like uplifting poster verses where it's like, I don't know, over a sunset or flowers or something. And mm -hmm. it has this verse. And he says, no, we should have this verse over like, the, uh, the wreckage of war or mm -hmm. over dead people or over ashes of a city. And I thought that was, I thought that was fascinating right there. Right. There's a, yeah, absolutely. There's, um, I was just thinking about, <laughs> I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about instead of motivation posters, demotivation posters, <laughs> they're like specific posters that say, very funny, humorous things that are yeah. trying to demotivate you that have like, <laughs> I can't think of one right now, but those are really, really good. Uh, mm -hmm. Demotivating posters, you could look those up. Um, so yes, in the you context suck. of lamentation, <laughs> yes, stuff like that. In the context of lamentations, uh, you have, so what you just read is in verse 22. Mm -hmm. And chapters one, two, and then the first 20 verses of three are basically all lament. So just straight lament, all bad. Um, right before verse 22, it says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. So the bitterness of the things I've experienced, mm -hmm. my soul continually remembers it and has bowed down within me. But this I call the mind and therefore I have hope. So he's making a conscious effort of his mind to remember truth in the midst of all this bad. So what we're trying to say is that there's an awful lot of time for lament and you should do that and you can sit in that and sometimes just quoting yeah. his mercies are new every morning 
without an understanding of the richness of the suffering that's gone before it, mm -hmm. um, yeah, can be a little misleading. But even though it's true that God is faithful when you get a raise, God is faithful every morning, no matter what. Yeah. And so, like, I think the point is that it's easy to say God is faithful when you get a raise. Now, actually, I, I would argue that we could go in the other direction and say people forget to say God is faithful or give thankfulness when good things happen. Totally. Because they, because, uh, oh, actually, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis says this in uh, Mere Christianity, I believe, first chapter. But it's this idea of if, um, let's see, if we do something bad, we have a list of excuses as long as our arm. But the moment we do something good, we attribute it to ourselves. I think the same can be um, with us. So obviously, when when we're in a position like this, we could come up with um, with excuses or something good were to happen. We'd be like, oh, yeah, this is all me. I deserve that race because of what I did. But it's still difficult to say, no, this is this is God in good times. Yeah. But um, when it when it comes to these big um, sorrowful moments, we need to still say it because it's more difficult. Right. Um, yeah. So like when things are good, we should say God gives and God takes away. When things are bad, we should say God gives and God takes away. All right. Yeah. He does it in every circumstance. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you, you want to say something quick? Well, yeah, just this idea of, uh, and this proper biblical balance between despair and hope. And so biblical lament includes hope, whereas the world either falls into distracting itself and ignoring suffering or cynicism and just thinking that everything is hopeless. And so I think today we have a culture of despair. We have a culture yeah. of depression and anxiety and suffering and no answers to anything. Nobody has yeah. any answers to uh, why I feel dead inside, <laughs> why I um, have no meaning in my life. And mm -hmm. Christianity is the only, I mean, we believe we're Christians. We believe that's the only answer is Christianity and Christ and uh, the hope that he brings. Mm -hmm. And so Christianity has a perfect um, ability in this time in our culture right now to speak into people's lives and to give them hope. Yeah. And so we need to do yeah. that faithfully as Christians. Yeah. And um, like wormwood and bitterness, that's actually, it's used for medicinal purposes. So it, it helps you. And I think one of the big points of this is today, people are depressed. People are sad. People are sorrowful and grieving, but the message of today is we always have to be happy. So they cover it up with pleasure and celebrations and drinking and feasting and stuff like that. And they don't actually process it, which is what makes it's such a big problem because we aren't properly dealing with the problem. We're ignoring it. We're covering it up with pleasure, not pain. And right. I think the Christian, I think Christianity provides us with the proper means to deal with depression or the proper right. means to deal with all this stuff. Um, and that's something right. that actually needs to be pushed out. Like if, if young people come up and actually say, Hey, I'm going through this, we shouldn't say, Oh, Hey, go do something that makes you feel good. We right. as Christians should urge them to properly deal with it. And I think right. once we push that and once young people start trying that, they may actually, it might actually become an apologetic, right? It actually might show the truthfulness of Christianity. Like someone going through depression, if they actually properly go through it, instead of covering it up with pleasure, mm -hmm. according to the Christian instruction, they might at the end of it find like, wow, Christianity is true. Like it worked, right? It's yeah. 
um, this is this matches reality right here with when it comes to sorrow. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely, uh, yes. Christian suffering can be a great apologetic when Christians do that well. Uh, absolutely. Um, I was thinking more about what you said with the way Israel misunderstood God. So, could you talk a little bit more yeah. about maybe the context of? uh the israelites in that time and what they were not expect they didn't think god would do and then how that Mm -hmm. relates to us and how we should view god yeah yeah so the the context is the jews obviously misunderstood god and the lament was the fruit of them misunderstanding god because again Mm -hmm. they thought god would never do something bad to them or let something bad happen to them they thought they were all good so they just started uh living it up right but then they got destroyed. They were, they, uh, I forgot what I think it's the enemy Assyrians. or civilization. It's the what? The Assyrians, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that sounds right. But anyway, they, they basically just got overrun. Everything was destroyed. Um, it's either that or Babylon. There's only two. <laughs> yeah. There's two conquests. It's Babylonian or Assyrian. Assyrian or Babylon. One of the two. Both, both uh, times. It's pretty much the same story though, in which Israel forgets God and they're punished accordingly. Yeah. So, but the big point is just like everything is destroyed. Like um, nothing is held back, right? Nothing yeah. is is preserved really. And um, lamentations yeah, and they, is the fruit of that when when right. things go wrong, right? And they and yeah. they even presumed that God would not destroy Jerusalem, God would not destroy the temple because that's where He lives. Yes, yeah. no, that got place. destroyed too. And then he gets, he wipes the temple out because ultimately God doesn't need to dwell in a temple. Yeah. Um, and how this all points to Christ, we'll talk about soon, but yeah, some really cool connections there. Yeah. And that's like a, a wake up call right there. I mean, yeah. think about it. If, um, if someone is in that position, like, oh, I'm God's chosen people, he would never do this. And then you don't take him seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you are basically asking God to follow through with a, with a punishment. It's like kind of, it's like when kids and parents, when the kid does something wrong, but they're like testing the parent, like literally in front of the parent, like about to like knock a vase over or something. And the parent is like, don't do it or else you'll get in trouble. And the kid just like pushes it over as a test. Like <laughs> yeah. I need to find out the boundaries. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rules and the laws, like how far can I go? And I think in Lamentations here, Jews found out how far they could go. Like they push God to his limits. And they basically forced his hand um, in a sense, in a sense. Right. Yeah. And so I think kind of the lesson of it is, is Romans two, four says uh, God's kindness is meant to lead you to, to repentance. Mm -hmm. And so if you have this sense of God's chosen me or I'm the, I'm the chosen people or I'm a Christian or God's been very good to me, he's going to prosper my way, that sort of stuff. Yeah. uh, That is good. But at the same time, you must be wary and vigilant and you must be repenting and be in a state of repentance daily so that you do not presume on the Lord's kindness and be presumptuous. Yeah, yeah, we should not. That's that's how it connects to us of don't be the Israelites who presume um, and and uh, cheapen God's grace and kindness towards you. Yeah. And at this point, we could. Like I'm going to bring up two things. One is uh, just a new idea. The other is connecting it to Jesus Christ, because I think at this mm-hmm. point we can finally connect it. But um, 
in this, there is this idea of covenant loyalty, and we can even like say it in marriage. Marriage reflects this as well. But um, even though all these bad things happened, like it looked completely hopeless. God destroyed the temple. Um, they still said, great is your faithfulness. They still believed because they were the chosen people that even though right now everything just got destroyed, God would still yeah. redeem them, which points to Jesus Christ. Obviously, God always had a plan to redeem people, to reconcile them with with him right mm-hmm. so there's that part but also we can go to this idea of like vows or uh or or brotherhoods or marriage or even uh and anything like that it's going through things together right whether it's good or bad because a lot of people today in like a friendship or a marriage or any kind of relationship at all they uh they say they'll go through the good and the bad, but then they bail out on the bad. As in like mm-hmm. um, for marriage vows, it's for better or for worse or for richer or for poorer. And yeah. it's followed up directly with the question, oh, but things won't get worse, right? Um, or when when marriage vows are taken, it's for richer or for poorer. The direct follow-up question is, oh yeah, but will we ever be poor, right? Will we ever be? Okay, yes, actually, the reality is at one point you might be poor. Right. And people don't actually take that seriously. Right. Right. Yeah. And so I think biblically, we have to always, uh, our prayer should always be to, for the Lord to teach us to number our days, like Psalm 90, and to keep our death on our mind. Hmm. I'm always inspired by uh, Jonathan Edwards and his resolutions. He talks about uh, that I would constantly think about the, the circumstances surrounding my death. Yeah, like the, the the common ways in which people die, and thinking about that and dwelling on it, so that I'm prepared for it. Yeah, and I think that that is just wildly um, apart from how our culture does. Or many people in our culture too, they have this sick obsession with their own death, such that mm-hmm. they just kind of live in that kind of a weird state of, of depression and and fascination over it. Yeah, or they commit suicide or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, biblically, I think it's proper and fair to just recognize I'm going out at some point here. Yeah. And to teach, asking the Lord to teach us to number our days. Yeah. There's a proper way a Christian should die, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think a question that comes up, one of these ending questions before we, before we finish this up is, where do we find our hope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is it in health, food, gold? Uh, what, what, what is it in? Uh, mm-hmm. if we are proper Christians, we would say our hope is in the Lord, which would then allow us to have the ability to say in these bad times, great is thy faithfulness. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if my hope is in gold or in health or in food, when those bad times hit, I would not be able to say great is thy faithfulness. Right. Right. Um, Absolutely. which is where that relationship would fail. It's because you actually aren't grounding your hope and your faith in God. Um, same right. with marriage. Uh, you aren't being faithful as in you aren't trusting uh, mm-hmm. in the other person or yeah. in God or anything like that. You know, The only way to live yeah, your life stably is to have your hope grounded in something that doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And so to ground your hope in the unchanging promises and unchanging character of God mm-hmm. rather than changeable things like your marriage 
your marriage yeah. will change, your spouse will die, your family will all die. Uh, every relationship you have will either end by you dying or the other person dying or the relationship ending poorly. <laughs> so very, very chipper, but the reality of it is, is that realizing that instead of pretending that that doesn't happen and realizing mm. it and then putting your hope actually in the only thing that will last forever and the only thing that is unchanging, which is uh, the triune God. Yeah. Yeah. And um, being patient and enduring during bad times mm-hmm. shows faithfulness as in um, yeah. being patient and hoping during good times doesn't actually show faithfulness. Um, if not someone, yeah. yeah, not in, not in the same way. Right. If, um, if someone, again, if someone got a raise and they're like, yeah, I'm the most loyal Christian out there. You would, you wouldn't say you're the most, we wouldn't say they're the most loyal, but if someone just went through the most horrible experience ever and was still faithful, we'd be like, wow, you are true Christian. You made through that. Um, and we're like actually impressed in a sense. Right. Right. And so connecting this all to Christ, the article makes this connection as well. The sort of, um, knowing kind of like what Jesus says to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, he opened up the scriptures and spoke how, how it spoke about how the law and the prophets all spoke about Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have license to go back into the old Testament and say, where, where can we see Jesus here? Where do we see Jesus in the Psalms? Where do we see Jesus in the prophets? And I think in Lamentations, you get a beautiful example of this where uh, Jeremiah is considered like the righteous prophet. Yeah. He's also called the weeping prophet because he, (laughs) went through he went through it in his life yeah uh he went through a lot of bad stuff but he's also suffering unjustly most of the time yeah so jeremiah even though he's a sinner like us he's fallen he's not jesus but he represents jesus in many ways and particularly in that he he suffers unjust affliction and he tells god in his prayer in lamentations 3 remember my affliction and we think about how jesus said jesus is in essence, saying that to us, when, like, for example, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering the affliction of Christ, how he suffered unjustly when we did not have to, when we should have. So this beautiful picture of because it's this beautiful thing of Jesus suffering unjustly yeah. on our account so that we could be free and forgiven uh, is foreshadowed when Jeremiah himself is crying out to God saying, remember my affliction, yeah. um, even though he is suffering unjustly as well. Yeah. And so when we suffer unjustly, or we perceive that we're suffering unjustly, or just any suffering, that always draws us closer to our Savior. That It, it acquaints us with the man of sorrows. Mm-hmm. And so that is should be a comforting thought in the midst of lament and sorrow. Yeah. So Jesus is... He's the, he's the true Jeremiah in a sense. He's the true righteous prophet. He's the man of sorrows. A lot of yeah. people wouldn't characterize Jesus like that today, right? right. He's the man of sorrows. Um, right. Yeah, and I mean, at at that point, uh, like we can we can start like wrapping this up, but he, mm-hmm. this this article does challenge the modern cultural view of Jesus. Right. Um, is our view actually correct? Because today, um, well, what he uses specifically is you know, there's I think there's a famous poem or story or something that someone wrote about like walking on a beach and there was like two set of footprints. But then at 
during the hard times, there's only one. And then people eventually reveal like, Oh, is Jesus carrying us or something like that? Um, the, the author challenges us and asks, does lamentations agree with that conception of Jesus? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, does our culture agree with the idea of, um, Jesus being the man of sorrows? Do we actually depict him that way? Right. That's, that's the question that's coming up and that's what he's challenging us with because we don't want to say we walked through this sorrowful time uh, with Jesus. We, we just want to say, yeah, God deal with it all. You do everything um, mm-hmm. and everything like that. Um, and obviously we can cast our burdens on Jesus, but that's the, that's the challenge the author here is giving us. All right. And that's why I'm just kind of the last thought I have is the only, I'm always struck by when people question uh, well, it is proper and right to, to think about why God allows bad things to happen. And I think that's proper and right. And all of us in the Christian life have to kind of go through that and work with that. And it's a difficult apologetic thing that Christians need to wrestle with and to have answers for, or to at least try to think about. We don't have to have answers for everything, but to at least think about. And I think there are good answers, at least logically to those things. Emotionally, the problem is difficult, but like, Christianity, if any religion, really is the one that um, when people say, why do bad things happen? And you look at like Jesus bleeding on a cross, it's like, okay, this is the one religion in which suffering and pain is kind of all part of it. (laughs) Yeah, it's all baked into the cake here. Uh, The whole Bible is about (laughs) suffering. It is about pain and death and sorrow and suffering and how Mm -hmm. God does stuff with it to his own glory. And so it's like, I'm always puzzled when people disbelieve in God because of that, or like, don't expect it when the whole Bible is about that. Yeah. Um, much of it. Yeah. And that's so kind of I got, yeah, no, that's a great final thought. And, uh, to end this, we can actually read some stuff from lamentations. And I think the big thing is that we have this question to, to prove a point. Is it not from the mouth of the most high that good and bad come? Right. I think that's a resounding theme throughout the Bible is um, obviously we, we can have, again, some theodicy of like, oh, yeah, God permitted this and this. But essentially, God did allow the bad, good and bad come from God. Right. right. And the important thing is then we can say, though he caused grief, he will have compassion. Right. And then going a little further the way we talk about God. And I think this is very encouraging. It says, though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love for he does not afflict from his heart mm-hmm. or grieve the children of man. That's lamentations three thirty three. That's literally the middle point of lamentations. Yeah. Like the middle, middle, middle. And he does not afflict from his heart is the main point. The author wants you to get out of the whole book of lamentations. Mm-hmm. So though he caused grief, he will have compassion. He does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children or man. That's why I do think the language of God allows and God permits is biblical uh, because it is saying it is trying to get at that difficult tension of God's heart of God puts people through things, but his overall heart is for your good uh, mm-hmm. for his people. His overall heart is not to afflict. He does not afflict from his heart. He's not like gleefully putting you through the worst thing ever. 
No, he's gentle and lowly, even amidst the uh, tough thing. Yeah. So that's very encouraging. Yeah. Also, great book, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland. Highly recommend it. <laughs> um, if you were looking for something uplifting, that would be a great book too. Yeah. But that's up, uplifting in a biblical way. <laughs> I like how we just went through Lamentations and then the one book recommendation is an uplifting one <laughs> after. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Also, get Douglas Grutice's Lamenting book. That's uh, That'd be a great option as well. But, that's uh that's all we got please like and subscribe if you uh, feel led to support us please do so but thank you for watching god bless god bless